Well, I don't know about you, but uh, listening to that first reading, Abraham is annoying. <laughs> I'm thinking, it was very well proclaimed. You weren't annoying. The Abraham was annoying. You know, kind of get to the point. Couldn't you just skip from 50 to 40 to 10? But, you know, 50, 40, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Finally, we get to the point, you know. Um, but the point is not about the number. The point is about the persistence and the relationship of Abraham's persistence with God. In other words, God desired for Abraham to be persistent in prayer. Now consider this. It's a theological truth. I mean, it's, it's a well-established theological truth that God does not and cannot change. If God could change, it would be an imperfection. So God doesn't change, which means God knew what he was going to do before Abraham even asked. He knew what he was going to do before Abraham even asked. So what was the point of Abraham asking? I'm not going to answer that question yet. You have to wait till the end. What's the point? All right. We move to the gospel. And uh, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And so the disciples of Jesus, um, seeing him pray, asked him to teach them how to pray. And this is one of the, uh, one of the examples of the Lord's Prayer um, that we have in the scriptures. The one from Matthew is, is a little bit longer. It's the one we pray at Mass. Um, but the essence, or there's, there's five petitions in this one, seven in the other. Um, and the way in which Jesus tells his disciples to pray tells us something about, of course, God. It tells us something about how Jesus desires for us to be in relationship with God. And it even tells us what the Lord says we should ask for in prayer. First, Father. Jesus desires for all of us to see God as Father. This is unmistakable in the scriptures. This can become very problematic, especially because most of us all have a complex, let us say, relationship to our fathers, right? And sometimes it's better than others. But the Lord Jesus desires for us to see God as Father, as the Father who never fails, who the, who, the Father who is always perfect, the Father who is always faithful that we can call upon him in this relationship, father and son, father and daughter. Holy is your name. Hallowed be your name. Why is the second commandment? You know what the second commandment is, right? No. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain, right? It's pretty important to God. His name is very important. There is a reason it's number two on the top ten list. It's not a mistake. God didn't make a mistake. It's important that we hallow God's name. That not only is God's name holy in itself, but that we, in our relationship to God, use his name in a holy way. This is why profanity is always worse and is an offense against the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment, whereas mere, um, 
what's the other one? Mere cursing or, you know, mere, what's the other word for that? Swear? No, no, there's a better one. What? No, no, profanity is taking sacred and that's using God's name. What's the other one? What? No. <laughs> Cussing. Thank you. Yeah, nobody, he's the only one brave enough to say it because he probably does it all the time. <laughs> don't worry, I don't know who said it. <laughs> anyway, this is what happens. You never know when you're going to forget a word. Okay, so there's difference between profaning, meaning taking something sacred and corrupting it or using it in a corrupt fashion. Huge difference between that and just merely using a curse word. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Lord, bring in your reign as you will. Your kingdom has already come in heaven. Bring your kingdom into existence in our world. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive those who have sinned against us. Of course, that also means if we have not forgiven those who have sinned against us, we're asking God not to forgive us. Forgive us our sins because we are forgiving people. And do not subject us to the final test. Do not subject us, in Matthew, do not subject us to temptation. Do not allow us to fall into temptation. Guard us against evil, especially the evils of Satan. Okay. But then he gives these stories about the prayer. And the stories are supposed to sort of extrapolate what his intention is or his meaning is within the prayer itself. Or in other words, as we're praying, he wants us to understand these dynamics are at work between ourselves and God. So he says, for instance, and, th and this is very much a, an echoing of what happened with Abraham. Suppose a friend goes to another friend and asks for a loaf of bread, asks for anything at night, and that, that person is already in bed. You know, can, can, will you help me out? No. <laughs> Come on, help me out. No. And usually you say no like that because it is your friend. No, go away. <laughs> but if you keep asking, if he doesn't get up to help you because he's your friend, he'll get up and help you just so you'll leave. That's what he means. That's what Jesus is saying. That other man will help just so you'll get out of there and stop pestering him. The Lord wants us to understand that we can pester our Heavenly Father. That's what He's saying. That's why we have this, this first reading from Abraham, as opposed to just saying what happened. God, you know, Abraham prayed to God that he would spare Sodom and Gomorrah, which obviously there weren't even ten people because he smote them anyway. But, you know, he, would, he wouldn't have given this entire story. The whole point of the story is that Abraham pestered God. And God wanted him to. Sometimes we need to pester God. That's what Jesus is saying. Be a bit of a problem for God with your prayers. Kind of reminds you of a child. Can I have it? 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 Finally, yes. Stop talking. <laughs> That's kind of what God, or Jesus is saying with our Heavenly Father. Pester Him like that. Another example. Jesus is conveying that if we seek, we will find. If we ask, we will receive. If we knock, the door will be opened. 
that we need to be involved in prayer. We need to be trying. Now, don't raise your hand, but just reflect how many people here, you, how many of you have not a very good prayer life? Father, I'm at Mass. That's good. But every day of the week, how's your prayer? Are you praying? Are you praying at all? Do you have maybe a moment in the morning or the evening where you say your prayers? Do you pray during the day? Lord, help me in these situations. Lord, thank you for the blessings you've given me today. Jesus wants us to be people of prayer who are asking, who are seeking, who are knocking, who are actively engaged in this relationship with God. The most important thing that Jesus wants is for us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And to have a relationship, we have to talk to Him. And then He says, He gives the example, you know, what father would give their child something harmful if they ask for something good? Just so our Heavenly Father will give us what we need. Now what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't say the Father will give us what we want. He says he'll give us what we need, and he'll give us something which is good. And here comes then, I think, an opportunity to reflect on prayer. God doesn't always seem to answer our prayers. Sometimes it seems like he's busy, or he's sleeping, or he left the building completely. I don't know if you've had that feeling. God, where are you? I have been pestering you. And it doesn't seem as though you've answered me. This is one of the reasons why we pray for God's will first among everything else. Anything we ask for always should come after praying for God's will. Or it should be in there somewhere in our prayer. We might think something is good for us, but our Heavenly Father truly knows what's good for us. And what He may give us may end up being better for us, is always going to be better for us, than perhaps what we think is good for us. It's no different than, than, a, than a child. And it, I mean, I understand that this is difficult. You know, I don't want to say that we're all children, but in relationship to God, this is how he wants us to see ourselves. Father, child. So when your child is asking for more cookies, more and more and more cookies, or ice cream, it is wonderful to have more cookies and ice cream, I am in a living embodiment of that. (laughs) But a parent knows that the child cannot be sustained on that. Right? And ultimately will give them what is good for them, even if it's not what they want at every single instant. And so too our prayer. God wants us to be persistent in prayer, but then He wants us to trust that what He gives us is what is actually what we need. And sometimes, that answer is no. No. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is wait. And sometimes the answer is not that, but this. You asked for that, but that's not what's best for you. This is what you'll receive instead. And so our prayer necessitates trust. We have to truly trust. This is why, again, Jesus says, call God Father. Because a child trusts their father to protect them, to provide for them. 
to secure their lives for them, and so too our Heavenly Father. Back to the the question of if God knows what he's going to do anyway, why pray? Why pray if God already knows what he's going to do? So with Sodom and Gomorrah, he knew that he would spare them for a time. But he also knew that Abraham would ask him. Abraham didn't know what God would do. What was important is that Abraham asked. Right? So God stands outside of time and sees everything playing out at once. Everything is present for God. For us, it's not. It's linear. We don't know what God's mind is. We don't know that his mind may be, or his decision might be, that we pray for something repeatedly and then he'll answer it. He already knows what's going to happen, but we don't. And so time is for us. The prayer is for us. It does nothing for God. Prayer does nothing for God. It doesn't change God. God already loves us. He can't love us more. Praying to Him more isn't going to help Him, isn't going to get Him to love us more. The prayer is for us. It changes us. It changes our relationship with Him. It strengthens it. It helps it to grow. So, we reflect on Therefore, at the end of of the homily here, how to pray. What's the best form of prayer? Because people have their favorites. They pray in different ways. Clearly, we have one answer from Jesus. The Our Father is always going to be the first and foremost prayer. It's not the only prayer, however. What's important is that we are praying. Children, say your prayers before you go to bed. Parents, Pray with your children. It's not that hard. I remember uh, growing up, my, um, so I was one of the, we were one of those families who were like up and down, you know? I don't know if you're aware, you know, you, you've, you've had that experience of you go to mass, kind of get back on track, and then you sleep in for three months. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like that growing up. And uh, so every once in a while, my mother would, would say, well, we're, we're going to, which is great. I mean, that's what you do. We're going to get back into prayer. But she would always say, well, let's pray an entire rosary every single night. Oh. <laughs> we were just doing nothing. Nothing was fine. I mean, you're thinking as a child, nothing was fine. Now a whole rosary? That's a lot, you know. Could we maybe moderate that a little bit? It's important just to do it. The habit is more important than the duration. Take your little ones before they go to bed. Ask who and what they want to pray for. Pray in our Father a Hail Mary and a Glory Be and go to bed. Send them to bed. It doesn't have to be long. It needs to be consistent. That's how we build a culture in our homes and in our church of godliness, of sacredness, by the consistency and the repetition. Please stand.